one of the biggest takeaways I had from Stoneberg was understanding uh, customer diversification, uh, yeah. which in B2B is huge, right? If you've got one customer that's, you know, 50% of your sales, you're in a, you're in a really, really bad spot. Like seriously. Yeah. Uh, and you really need to understand that you can't live. And we've, we talked to a couple companies that you know, surfaced uh, Walmart. I don't know if you remember as a company, a local company, they did landscaping. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 75% yeah, yeah, yeah. of their sales. I'm like, what happens when that goes away? Yeah. Your business is over. Yeah. Um, so really, I mean, you, you look at how you've got to take on those little guys too. Oh um, yeah. And those are the ones that keep you in business. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED from my fellow Marines. And guest today, experiencedrealtor.com. Click on podcasts. You can scroll down to this episode, all the other episodes, download these from uh, the different platforms and find out more information on the guests and how to get a hold of them and their services that they provide uh, coming on to the show and today, I'd like to give a big, warm welcome to my not only good friend, former business partner, fellow Marine, Sean Carr. Welcome to the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a, been a while since we've seen each other. Now we've, God, we've known is, each man. other for, what, like eight years? Yeah. You know, Cowtown, Stoneburg. And, yeah. You know, all that. So it's just been... It it's has been, been a, a while. been a journey. It has. It has. You know, we've... And we're going to dive right into that. And, uh, oh, God. For the, for the, for, for my, my father-in-law says that I have to do a joke, so I intentionally do bad jokes. You're right. You ready? You ready for this? Because you got kids, so oh, you'll, you'll like this, Let's right? Let's hear it. Right? And I've noticed you put on a few LBs there. So you're, this one's, this no. one's, yeah, this no, one's this designed for you. Clothes got smaller during Oh, is that what it is? Oh, the, oh, well, when you shop at Baby Gap, well, right? I mean, you got to do what you got to do. It's cheaper, <laughs> right? And you're a business owner and you're growing. You're like, hey, man, you take what clothes you can get. Right. <laughs> So my wife said I should do lunges to stay in shape. That would be a big step forward. And big step. Big step. <laughs> <laughs> you mean from sitting all day behind a desk? Oh, or what's been funny is uh, um, everybody. You know, I've lost thirty five pounds in in a very short yeah, thank amount you for of time. That. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you, it. Right? And everybody's like, "Hey, what's your diet?" And I was like, "No sleep, not eating, stress." Where I haven't taken a, you know what, in a long time that was right. And I was like, "I yeah." And I was like, "Turns out it's a fabulous diet plan right. to lose weight." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, go get your hands and more, uh, you know, more things than you can actually oh, manage. And oh yeah, you know, you know God. a little bit about that. Oh yeah, you know? Cowtown and this business and Stoneberg oh, and yeah. the EMBA. The, yeah, and the EMBA. Two and, kids. Oh, oh yeah. God, selling a house. Buying a house. <laughs> what else we add to that list? You know, family. You know, deaths, and Stressed you just add it all. And seven ways to Sunday. My God. Yeah. So, yeah. for the audience, let's go back and dive into Sean Carr. And where? So, tell us about you know where, where were you born, and sure. let's kind of follow the journey that got you to where you're at now. Yeah. Well, I was born about 40 minutes west of Chicago, in the suburbs, a small town called St. Charles. You know, grew up there, played soccer my whole life. Uh, you know, started my first business, you know, doing selling pine cones to my parents, which I got in trouble for. <laughs> naturally, right? Um, I got in trouble for everything. I was a middle child, so you know that's why I'm down in Texas. Everybody else is up in Illinois. Right. Um, 
<laughs> I was the one that joined the military. Two brothers went to school the smart way. Right now I'm just old, fat, and hurt. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so grew up there, about 40 minutes west of Chicago. Uh, you know, started that little pine cone business. Then I went and started a little curb wax skateboard, uh, believe it or not. Uh, started a little curb wax business. So me and my buddy, uh, KS Specialized Curb Wax, look it up. It's the number one curb wax company in the U.S. I'm just kidding. <laughs> doesn't exist anymore. But, uh, you know, we did that in like seventh or eighth grade. And, um, you know, graduated high school, barely. Did uh, about six months at community college, right? Realized that I wasn't mature enough for, for college. You know, I was working two jobs. I was working at a, as a grocery produce clerk. Um, for about four years. And then also during that time, I did maintenance and, and guest services at a hotel. So I was working that, you know, get off of school like 2.30 and then go work 3 to 9 or 3 to 11, depending on which job. And then, you know, 6 to 2 on the weekends and then 3 to 11 after that. So I was working a lot. You know, it was really, you know, it's nice being a high school kid with money, right? But then you realize, you know, that doesn't get you very far, you know, minimum wage uh, when you get post-high post, post high school. You got real bills and stuff. So, yeah, I went to community college for about six months. Like I said, realized it wasn't for me. Talked to a buddy about, you know, the military and, um, you know, I wanted to be in, be in the Army at first because I didn't know the Marines were really a thing, even though my cousin was a Marine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know the difference when you're a kid. You did, right. Soldiers are soldiers, and you're like, don't call a soldier uh, a Marine a soldier, right? Right. You get decked in the face. <laughs> but, um, God, yeah. So we uh, um, joined, you know, went into the, the recruiter's office, you know, signed me up, open contract, and ended up getting stuck with military police. Now, so so you were intended on going into the Army. How did that shift happen to choose uh, Yeah, I called a buddy, and he's like, oh, did you join the Marines with me? Um, and I was like – What's the difference? You know, I want to. Yeah. I want to do like high speed stuff. Like I, you know, when you first think of military, you think everybody's running and gunning. You know, you're just going out and killing terrorists, right? Well, that's not the case, especially in the army, right? Or some of the bigger branches where they're they're so diversified. Um, so I was like, oh yeah, you know, you think go to the army, everyone's an army ranger, airborne, or something like that. And you know, that wasn't the case. Talked to a buddy. He was going to the recruiter's office. Uh, brought me in. You know, I signed the contract. He didn't, you know, he escaped out. So I suckered my cousin into being, you know, going through the buddy program with me. And, uh, yeah, so that's how that's how we got in the Marine Corps. Yeah, was, and then you open contract. They signed you to military police. Yeah. Well, first I, I got assigned intelligence, which is I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to be like a Jack Ryan CIA agent. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got to MEPS, and they're like, oh, no, we actually need you to do this. I'm like, oh. You know, so, uh, but, you know, I was able to get like a, a signing bonus or whatever, not a bonus, but, you know, the education bonus that they get, they give out. So, uh, yeah, that's how I got into, you know, military police and then, you know, went on from there. And, and then my Marine Corps career started for five years or so. Yeah. You got a deployment on you. Yeah, I deployed to Afghanistan in uh, 2010 and 2012. First one was with MP Support Company. I was stationed out on the East Coast. We were fortunate. Our our um, company was spread out. So we were field MPs, uh, which nobody's going to care what the difference is. Right? What is the, just, yeah, tell, tell the difference. <laughs> field MPs, basically, you, you do things like convoy security, you know, base security well, on the deployment side. Um, when you're stateside, you just clean other people's crap. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, deployment side, you'll do like – they'll do like the um, – training with the Afghan National Police or Iraqi police. They'll do convoy security. 
um, like aircraft recovery, uh, which is, uh, you know, downed aircraft, which actually happens more often than you think, right? Helicopters don't fly all the time. You know, you'll go and do, like I said, that vehicle aircraft recovery, base security, you'll do the detainee ops. So any of the, they don't really call them prisoners of war, but the, you know, the insurgents or people they suspect to be insurgents, you'll go and, you know, assist with transporting them or moving them to or bringing them to, you know, uh, CI to do their investigation and talk to these people. And so, I mean, you, you do pretty much anything that the Marine Corps tells you to do. I mean, you're in no less sense of force multiplier, right? Hey, we need you to do this. Okay. Send the MPs. They'll go and help out. Right. Um, and then obviously you have the, you know, the SWAT side on the state side, right? They're called SRT, which is my where I ended up at, on Paris Island. So you have that and you have the PMO, which is like your police department and your standard, you know, the ones that everyone thinks of when you hear MP, uh, you think of, you know, guy in camis with a badge, you know, screwing over somebody, right? <laughs> they call him the Blue Falcon for a reason. That Blue Falcon stands for something too, so. Oh, the um, audience that knows, knows. Yeah, yeah, and they're laughing. They're like, oh, this guy's trying to glorify being an MP. I am not, first of all. <laughs> but yeah, so, you was able to do, you know, travel and do a bunch of different stuff on, on two deployments. So, yeah, I was able to experience a lot out of one base in uh, South Carolina. So I was stationed at Hilton Head, probably, you know, Beaufort, South Carolina is the air station, right? We were attached to the the air wing that deployed for my second deployment. Um, it was MWSS-273, um, and we did, like, convoy security and flight line security for them we did uh, the aircraft recovery for them so or for i mean the marine corps in helmand province like when the there was an osprey that went down we went out secured it and you know stayed out there for a couple of days while they you know god forbid they lose an osprey right mm-hmm. built a platform under it and flew that thing away so yeah that's i mean to sum it up ended up doing srt at the end and <clears throat> that's that that's my marine corps career in a nutshell what did you what did you enjoy the most srt right yeah, yeah. eight to four you work eight hours you're on call 24 7 so you can't drink so they say but <laughs> i'm i think i'm out of the statute of limitations now yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so i mean eight to four every day you're doing and i was at paris island right so we did graduation security i'm not going to say any more because my wife might listen but <laughs> no graduation security right so we did that i mean you go to the range once a week uh, you qualify once a month. I mean, you get all the cool toys that, you know, a lot of the SF guys actually get, you know, the shortened uh, M4s with suppressors. I mean, cool EOTech sites, like the cool stuff, right? So I'm like, this is what I wanted to do. And I get to go to the gym every day, which you don't get to do in the Marine Corps. Contrary to popular belief, you know, you just chase some some 28-year-old guy that can run faster than you for, <laughs> for 45 minutes uh, and s- try to sing, right? So... Yeah, that so, SRT was the best. So you get out of the Marine Corps, where you go? I was driving through, did, you know, they call it terminal leave, which is any leave or vacation days for the civilians that you have saved up, you can um, essentially take what's called terminal leave, right? And that terminal leave is all that leave combined at the end of your contract. And you get paid to essentially go on vacation. So what I did is I, you know, traveled to US-ish, like from... Texas East and visited, you know, a bunch of my friends that had gotten out before me. Um, and then I, you know, stopped one night in Fort Worth and I was, uh, I called my, my buddy who had, uh, still lived in South Carolina, but his, uh, 
<clears throat> uh, significant other at the time, she was a recruiter for a financial institution, like doing, you know, wealth management, financial advice, uh, that stuff. So I called her up. I was like, hey, this is a cool town. Do you guys have an office here? You know, got an interview, you know, got a job, um, you know, not knowing a soul in Fort Worth. Um, so I, I, I stopped in Fort Worth on the way and I liked it and decided to stay. So it was a just kind of a fluke thing. What year was that? 2013, 14, right on the cusp. Yeah, yeah either December of 2013 or uh, early 2014. It had to have been 13. Because uh, you were. You hadn't been here that long, and then we had the first Cowtown. Yeah, February, ball. right? Uh, it was January the was 14th. It, was it yeah. January? They did it in January back then? Yeah, so it was the first one we did, which was in January yeah. of 14. January right. 18th of 14. It's and then uh, because we were, I met you at my restaurant, yeah. right? Because Donnie had pulled a bunch of Marines together right. and— and uh, and then I was like, hey, you know, this is what we're doing, blah blah blah. And you're like, yeah, hey, give me give me a couple tickets. Sure, yeah. And then uh, so you came to the first event, and then the last five hundred dollars in my checking account, I think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, that's how it, I live my life. It, it was it was kind of funny because then, like you know, the running joke is, hey, so let's go get a drink, and then next thing you know, you're working for Cowtown, Warriors, yeah, right? or working for Jeremy at, <laughs> at some point, right? Uh, Try to get James not to fall into that trick, but you know. Oh yeah, no, he's stressed right now. <laughs> eh, who isn't, man? <laughs> uh, but uh, so you were doing the wealth management thing about a for about a year, I think, yeah. a year and a half maybe. Yeah. And so, then I reached out to you, and I was like, "Dude, I can't do this anymore." Yeah. And you're like, "Ah, ironic. I can't do what I'm doing anymore." Yeah. We've got this, you know, school or whatever that can teach you, you know, the M and A side of yeah. business brokerage, right? We hate that word because yeah. they suck. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember we're like, it's like. A couple hundred bucks. I'm like, well, yep. make it work, you yeah. know, because broke FA just had a bunch of deals fall through. And yeah, so yeah, we ended up connecting. And then I think we started Stoneberg shortly after that. Yep. So we went to the school in April of 16, I think it was. Yeah. And then because I knew I was exiting out of that shit show that I was in the middle yeah. of over there with XYZ Company. And it was... And and I knew I was leaving. I was like, I'm done. I'm, yeah. I'm done dealing with these idiots. And so you and I went to school, and then you know, true entrepreneur fashion, didn't know anything from nope. anything. And and you know, and we and I and, and I remember because we were we were like, all right, you know, let's go find a company to sell, right, right, <laughs> and. And then, then we got our, our first one, Leon's, right? Well, it yep. started, the conversation start. he responded to the email, excuse me, the email you Pretty sent, quick. Pretty quick. Yeah. But then he kind of ghosted us for a couple months. Yeah. Right? And uh, and then he circled back up, I think that was like June, July. June, July. Yeah, July is 16, and then we drove out to Tyler, Texas yep. to go have uh, lunch with him. Yeah, I right. remember that. Breakfast. Yep, breakfast yeah. at Denny's right there. Yep, yep. right off the highway. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, <laughs> and it was funny because, you're, you know, when you're starting something and you have no experience whatsoever, he was like, how many of these have you done? And we were like, 
you would be our first. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Thank God he was a Marine too, right? Yes. And just that's one thing you got to talk to people about is transparency, right? And being vulnerable cells. Mm-hmm. And be like, hey, I this is my first one, but I promise you I'm going to work my ass off. Yeah. And kill this for you. And I think we've, we freaking knocked it out, in my opinion. Oh, man. I mean, I, you know, I'd hope you would feel the same because we worked hard. home run on the first one, right? Yeah. And because cause then he said, okay, how much? And then we quoted him. Yeah. And, that, you know, and, and it was kind of funny because even you were like, wait, wait, are you sure you want to throw that number out? Right. And then I was like, hey, man, go big or go home. And the answer is always yeah. no unless you ask, right? He didn't even negotiate. No. He goes, you can get me this number right then we'll we'll do that not because and that's and we hadn't even looked at the books or anything else and i said well i won't be able to give you a good answer till we you know tear this thing apart and yeah. really dive into it and so because i'd already finished my mba and we started diving into it and then that's when you and i were like this thing is a gold mine yeah right and then we built the processes out over the next several months, recruiting people that would be interested in buying. I think we were up to like a hundred. Oh, at least. Yeah. Interested parties. We were using Stanton Williams V rooms. Right. We were going to be more secure. And then, and then because I, because one of the things that it was funny because it was also Cliff Adams, because Cliff Adams was like, man, you know, business workers suck, man. They don't have any answers. They don't know anything. So this and that, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah. And then uh, so I said, let's do this right. I said, yeah. let's let's get to quick no's and reliable yeses. Disqualify, Disqualify. you know, before, quali- which is the opposite of what yeah. they teach you, right? Right. And that's one of the things that, you know, anybody that I talk to in sales, one of the biggest takeaways I had from that, well, I mean, I've learned so much in such <laughs> a short, my God, um, but is disqualify your prospects as fast as you can, right? You mm-hmm. get rid of those tire kickers. Yep. You know, and if they, if they, you got to throw them back in the pipeline, that's fine. Yeah. Um, no hard feelings. That just might not be a good time for them right now. Yep. You know, so don't waste your time on people uh, that, you know, aren't serious, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So then fast forward to, I think it was right in the middle of April, maybe around April 15th. And we had, you know, and we said, hey, are you ready to go live on this thing? And he said, yeah. And I said, we're, we're, I said, well, we're, we're going to go fast. And sure. so we allowed people to see the initial OM because that was really what took us a long time. We built out right. this OM to answer any and every question. Yeah. There could I remember that stack of documents was over twelve inches tall, sure. supporting documents of financials and you know, employees and blah, 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 blah. And we were able to disqualify, you know, t- typical 2080 rule, right, is we were able to disqualify 80 of them real quick. Oh, easy. Yeah. And then we were down with the 20. And then we got down to four, and before we even took the company live, uh, you and I had met with the right. who would be the buyer, Dan Brodowski. Right. Yeah. And also a Marine, TCU grad, uh, and he was, he was a foreign service officer in Brazil, was done doing that, and was moving back up, said, hey, I want to buy a company. And I was told, you know, we need to come talk, you know, with you. And yeah, so we were sent to, we met him at Fort Worth Club. Yep. That. Yep. And then so, but the interesting thing was, is early on in the disqualification process, Dan was really sticking out to be the the real fit for this yeah. thing. Yeah, and you realize that when you have those, 
you know, disqualifying characteristics, right? Yeah. And you're like, well, he doesn't check this box, this box, this box. So that's good. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people check those boxes really quick. If you figure out what doesn't make a good buyer, yeah. you know, then you figure out you've, you really improve and, you know, kind of uh, tighten that, that process of like who is going to be the best buyer for it. Yep. And uh, I think that disqualifi- disqualifying people early on it was just a, a game changer. Yeah. Especially when you talk about business pros- prospects when you're in, you know, sales, which probably a lot of people I'd assume that listen to this either have a business or in sales of some sort um, or have a team that, that does sales. So, I mean, disqualify your prospects fast. Yeah. Don't forget about them because they may be a good fit in the future. Right. Um, Just keep maybe them in, not today. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So. Yeah. And then it it was it was great because then, and by the way, so we took this company live and this is a multi-million dollar company. Yeah. And the real estate. 75 years of, of history. Right. And we were able to take that thing live in the middle of April and we were closed and funded by October. So when you so, so April to May, June, July, August, September, October. So in six months, right? And and we didn't realize how good we had done it. Right. We knew we did it good, but other people were like, you know, that just doesn't happen. But everybody that had looked at it said, Man, I just appreciated being able to read an OM and go, You've answered every question I can possibly ask, and this company's not for me. Right. They said, because usually that's a year or two process of dragging that information out. Definitely. Trying to do that. And then, and so, you know, you and I, you know, and, and so that was in uh, uh, six, no, it's that we were in 17 now, right? Yeah. And, uh, and that was a hell of a, hell of a payday. And then, and it was funny. I, I don't think Laura will ever forgive us of this because, the first thing we did oh, is we yeah. went down to we went on a shopping spree at Defender. <laughs> yeah, we bought some guns. <laughs> yeah, we did some pressure. What did we drop, man? We dropped like it was at least ten grand. Oh, it was at least ten grand. We bought their platinum membership oh, with yeah. the private range. Oh god, that's up to twenty then at least. Oh we yeah, ten grand on guns oh, alone. Oh, oh, alone, right? I think when all is said and done, after we after the membership and all that, we they made like twenty five grand off. Oh yeah, in a day, and you don't yeah. include like Cowtown Warriors. Oh. And, and yeah. all the referrals we send there, I mean, God, oh, yeah. at least, you know, 150 a year. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, then it was fun, right? It was like, it was like, cool, well, let's go do this again. And, uh, um, and it was really, so starting, I started, see, if I finished in the end of 20, so in 18, so now we get into 18 and, and I had just, uh, started using, so a few months later I had. Tony Ford, uh, as, as, as my executive coach. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, uh, you know, go sit down with Tony. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then that's when Tony had pulled me aside and said, he's miserable. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, what, what? And he goes, he goes, well, you know, and of course I was learning a lot about myself having an executive (laughs) coach. As it turns out, you can be born an asshole, right? (laughs) I think that that is something that's, you know, there's a little seed inside of you that grows over a period of time. And when you get enough, you know, shit thrown your way, you're, you're done. Yeah. Right. You're like, all right, I just, let's do it. I'm going to say it how it is now. And it's going to have to be that way. Yeah. And then, but I never forget when he told me, you know, we were sitting there and I was like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, Sean working with you. He's, he's, it's like, he's trying to gargle kerosene. 
Yeah, and I think it's like when you work inside of a, a specific box that you don't necessarily fit in, right? Yeah. Because I'm more of like a – yeah, I, everybody has to be in sales when you're yeah. a business owner. That's just you, – you've got to figure it out. And how you sell is up to you, right? And when you're put in a box to say in – I'm not into that whole hunter gathering thing, right? I don't yeah. want to go one shot, one kill, yeah. and then find the next target, right? I'd rather like you know stalk this target, right, and then – you know, eventually go in for the kill, lock them in on a contract and then, you know, build that long-term business. I'm a, you know, people person. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief. Right. <laughs> um, but I like to develop those relationships over a period of time and you don't get that, uh, prospecting, prospecting yeah. right. Yeah. You don't, and I, I'm especially in, with a sales cycle, yeah, you're looking and, at 12 to 18 months. Yeah. And I, and I, and I remember when he told me, I was like, what? And I called you, I said, Hey, let's go to Buffalo Brothers to get a beer. And I said, Hey, Tony, you know, broke this out for me. Is that is that accurate? And you're, sure. yeah, man, I am absolutely miserable. And I was just like, man, why didn't you why didn't you ever tell me? And you're like, man, I don't want to let you down. Yeah. And and I was like, yeah, but I don't want you to. Especially as a twenty what seven twenty eight yeah. maybe at the time. Yeah. Uh, new, was, you know, just starting getting your, you know, getting your footing in in Fort Worth. Yeah. Which is a challenge in itself. Yeah. Um, and, but when you were like, man, I, I just didn't want to let you down. And I was like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to do this together if you're going to be miserable. Right. right. You know, because let's, let's face it. I could be a challenge to work with. <laughs> it's more about understanding what you actually mean. I think that's yeah. 90% of the job when you work with Jeremy is, yeah. okay, he says this, but what does he actually mean? And then you go and sit about and think about it for about six hours and you're like, oh, yeah, you know it clicks, or or two years later it clicks. <laughs> You're like, yeah. I finally get what he meant. <laughs> I'm not the best communicator out there, and and it's funny because Laura says it all the time. She goes, "You're the most misunderstood human on the planet." Yeah, she goes, and and, and it was funny because I remember referring to you as R two D two. Yeah, or no C three PO. Yeah, you were. R2-D2. I was R two D two, and you were always translating to people, going, "All right, this is what he said, but this sure. is what he means." Yeah, right. And I was like, man, let's. What's you know? But I was like, hey, but if 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 we're not going to do this together, I don't want to do any of this at all because right, where my strengths were, I had the opposite side where I had some severe weaknesses that right. I was like, dude, you're the only person I trust to handle the stuff that I'm not good at. Sure, and I was like, let's 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 just not do this again. Yeah, you know? and I remember you going. God, that's such a relief. <laughs> yeah, I can figure out what I got to do now. But yeah, yeah. So, so then you take off and uh, uh, and uh, oh yeah. And part we had missed too is I'd also suckered you into doing Countdown Warrior. <laughs> so after you came to the first event, and I was like, hey, you're going to help me with the second event, and then uh, and then eventually, what was it? It was Peterson next. That's how I met Peterson was through yeah. you. You brought him on, and what you didn't tell Peterson is like, "Hey, I'm gonna bring you on, meet these guys." And you're like, eh, "What he doesn't know is I'm gonna hand this Cowtown stuff off to him." <laughs> oh yeah, uh, and I think that when I met James, he was in Dallas, right? Yeah, and I was like, yeah, "Hey, yeah, why don't yeah. you come over to Fort Worth?" And yeah. you know, Cowtown Warriors is a good place to be. And yeah. He was a motivator. I'd started a little Marine networking group in DFW. A couple, we had a couple chapters, and um, he was running the Dallas one. And, you know, we were occasionally meeting up. He was in, uh, I think, like big insurance sales mm-hmm. at the time. I don't recall exactly, uh, but I think that's what he was doing, you know, and I was in doing what we were doing. And yeah. um, 
Yeah, I got them got them hooked up. I was like, why don't you come to a board meeting? And once you go to a board meeting, you're like, this is awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, November rolls around, and you're like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, this sucks. And you're like, oh, just wait. The next yeah. 90 days are going to suck, yeah, right? right. Yeah. And as the organization grew, you know, it became – it had to become more corporate, more yeah. tame, right? Because some of those board meetings, you, oh, they were. you rarely early on, you would have 15 minutes of business, right? And now you couldn't get – you couldn't get what you need to get in in an hour for a board meeting today, right? Because of how much it's grown. Yeah. And I think Wegner had said it best. He goes, he goes, we're a drinking club with a charity problem. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and the funny thing is, is because we were, man, we just, it was so incredibly successful, right? I mean, look, I mean, after, after that first year and we got the second one under our belt, we never had to worry about table sales ever again. Like, we had people lining up. Like We had people that would be like, man, I'll do a $10,000 table. And you're like, cool, you're number three on the list. Yeah. Like people were waiting for someone not to renew or to die to get a table, which, you know, for for us, once you solve the money problem, yeah, that's the that's generally the hardest part, right? Then you got to go do the non-fun stuff, which is get organized. And, and, and the interesting thing, like one of the greatest gifts – that you have that I was always just amazed by because I, I fancy myself as a networking person. You know, I've got yeah. pretty large networks, yeah. you know. Of course. I've got some people in my phone that people are like, how do you have that person's phone? See, I don't even save numbers. Right. That's how important I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but you, 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 you decided on driving through Fort Worth that you were going to make this a place and you grew your network literally overnight. Well, you have no choice, right? Yeah. Uh, when you have nothing, you don't know anybody. I mean, and you get introduced to a, like probably the worst sales job you can get because there's no yeah. salary, right? And you're, right. I mean, you eat what you kill, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing. Yeah. You, know, you don't. You don't. Get, there's no signing bonus. I mean, it's hey, good luck. Yeah. You know. Uh, I mean, you got to figure it out, right? And who do you? Who else? How do you? How do you network, right? You find something that people have in common with each other, right? And so I use the marine thing. I'm like, hey, well, we're marines. Even if, you know, at this point you're not going to be a, a potential client, you know, I've got to get out and meet everybody I can. You yeah. don't have a choice. So you're spending, you know, 60 hours a week networking, right? And, yeah. and maybe an hour a week on sales. And yeah. you don't realize you've got to do – you've got to build that that foundation. Um, and look at where it landed us today, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, because I remember reaching out to you on LinkedIn. You're like, "Yeah, I don't really have time. Uh, I don't have time." <laughs> and I finally, you're like, finally ran into you at the restaurant for right. Semper Fi networking, right? Yeah. And uh, you're like, "Oh, this guy finally got me." <laughs> <laughs> and then you suckered me into Cowtown. Right. So, you're like, "What the hell? I get myself into?" Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, but your ability to do that, and that's why, you know, I was always just so in, you know your the way your mind works. It's completely opposite of the way mine works, right? Like, I, I think in a lot of aspects, but I, I would definitely say there's some similarities, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're both high A's, right? right. right. To an, yeah, to yeah. an extent. I mean, yeah. you got to be adaptable, but yeah. I think what a lot of that big commonality we have is that systems and processes. Yes. It has to be a system and process or you cannot grow, hands oh. down. Oh, yeah. You, 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 you won't you, scale. You, you, you can't. You no. cannot. You get to a couple hundred thousand in sales and you're done. Yeah. I mean, you can't. I mean, or, you know, you're entrepreneurs tapped out. suck it out. Yeah. Yeah. You're tapped out, burned out, every, everything else. And you were really good at the only other person that's been able to do this other than you has been my wife, Laura. Sure. Was to be able to like you're saying you're just like no this is what he means is you were you were really good at getting what was out of my brain 
into a process, right? You were like, look, I can build the process if I know what you sure. want. And, you know, but I got to know what you want. And you were really good at asking questions. Right. And and, and that was just a, a, a – and I don't think people throw enough value in that. They they want answers, but they don't realize answers can always be different. you got to learn to ask the right questions. And you were really a master. Right. Or still are you know, at asking the right questions. I right? appreciate that. I think – you know, with regards to sales is you hear a lot of people talk a lot, right? And you get to, uh, there's a point where that's what you do, right? You've got to talk. You've got to, you know, carry that conversation forward. But at your initial meeting, when you're first or when you're brainstorming, you've really got to, you know, dive deep and really figure out what, you know, the person's looking for, the company's looking for, or, you know, your boss is looking for. Like, what do you, what do you need out of what we're trying to accomplish here? Oh, oh yeah, and and, 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 and and the thing is, is I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking up your 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 culture your culture index. Oh, God. I, I, and this was what was really uh, uh, funny as well is had I known about culture index earlier on, right? I mean, it, well, I use it everything. Right? But I don't even take a client unless I take the index now. Yeah, you know, that's I, what that's what we do for hiring. Yeah, you got to right, and you break it down by letter. Um, we do well. We do the free one, thirteen personalities, but yeah. it's very similar to culture index. Oh yeah, and then uh, I'm I'm looking this up here because you know knowing the value of what this meant, right? Was was so important. Wait a minute, that's mine, uh, Sean's. Where is this at? I'm gonna I'm gonna find this. Oh. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's mine because we know that mine says I'm crazy. Yeah. And then uh, let's see. Span J results. Where is yours? I know it's in here somewhere. And then um, because it was funny, we didn't. That was also the other thing is because when I found out about Culture Index and then I and then what it was is yours was trying to. Oh, man. Look, look at this photo. Look at that oh, photo. Yeah. Oh, that's that an on, infamous that on Facebook. car photo right there. That is just absolutely, wow, look at that. And so where I'm going to find this thing. And uh, and when I do, so uh, here it is. It would have been so, from Stan, so, Stanton. So, yeah, so, you, you know, high, you're high A, high B, low right. C like me. But the difference was is you were high D, so you're a detail right. person. Where, you know, it's mine. Right, it's not, you know, is mine, you know, high A, high B, low C, but that, those are the similarities you and I had. Right. But that me being a low D, a less of a detail rule follower. I mean, you're still D, but right. Oh yeah, big D, <laughs> right? And and so, but it was, it was just interesting because you. That's why you were you were able to do what you did because I just I wanted to break all the rules. I For wanted sure. to break everything, and really, you were the one that kept kept us in, in between the ditches. It was a good balance, right? It was, it was a lot of ebb and flow. Yeah, um, you need you need that partner that's the opposite in a lot of aspects of you, but you also have have to have some similar uh, traits, yeah. right? Or yeah. you're not going to have any common ground. You're not going to have the same goals, aspirations, yeah, you know, things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. And then so. Um, so we break up the band, but it wasn't for the audience. Like it wasn't a bad thing, right? It no. was just, we were ready to, if we weren't going to do this together, then it was ready for us to go do our next phases. 
Yeah. And our next phases, because of what I believe that we learned from each other through our experience with Stoneberg, helped us in creating the companies that we have now. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, one of the biggest takeaways I had from Stoneberg was understanding uh, customer diversification, uh, which in B2B is huge, right? If you've got one customer that's, you know, 50% of your sales, you're in a a really, really bad spot, like seriously. Uh, and you really need to understand that you can't live. And we've we talked to a couple companies that you know, surfaced uh, Walmart. I don't know if you remember is a company, a local company. They did landscaping. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Seventy five percent of their sales. I'm like, what happens when that goes away? Yeah, your business is over. Yeah. So really, I mean, you you look at how you've got to take on those little guys too. Oh um, yeah. And those are the ones that keep you in business. Well, and the other thing too that I felt was was real valuable because remember there was an HVAC company that we yes out in Dallas yeah Yeah. and then but we were like we don't want to work with them yeah and just wasn't a good fit not a good fit is so many people feel like they have to take somebody on that it's just as important to go right I don't want that person as a client right exactly because they're going to have unrealistic expectations and we already knew that working around me, I've got unrealistic expectations of myself and everything else around. The last thing we need is a, is a combat multiplier on that situation. God, yeah. <laughs> That's a true. Because <laughs> I'm going to stretch you seven ways to Sunday. Yeah, and sometimes right? it, even with current customers, it makes sense to take a break, right? Yeah. Uh, we've, you know, we've been fired from one customer, which is pretty, pretty damn good. Yeah. And it was just for whatever reason, it, it was a trend of issue after issue after issue. And I remember their, their, uh, executive director called me up. He's like, we can't work with you anymore. I was like, I don't blame you. I'd yeah. fire us right now. Yeah. You know, I should have fired us before that, but then having to fire, you know, and they're one of our bigger customers. Um, but then having to fire or put on pause somebody else for, you know, lack of payment or not paying fast enough, Yeah. which if you're a growing company, uh, you need to, you need to turn cash fast as fast as you can. Oh man. There was funny, you know, cause you saw Clark coming through here. It's like it, 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 people, you can be profitable, but cash broke. Oh, right. Right here. Yeah. Right and here. people don't understand a lot of times what cash flow means. Yeah. Really means. Right. And then, uh, so let's talk about it. So, so then uh, you you said, all right, cool. I'm going to go start another company. Sure. And that's when you started your current company, which is? Mercy Staffing. Um, so what happened is we stopped that. My wife uh, had our first kid. Um, it was like right before Liam was born. Yeah. I and mean, he's three now. Um, but right before he was born, we stopped doing Stoneberg. Yeah. And then my wife had, you know, quit her job. I was like, you know, because daycare, when you're making 15 bucks an hour, daycare is just you might as well stay home. Yeah. Yeah. So she was home for a few months and I was, you know, kind of farting around trying to figure out a couple things. And, uh, you know, she's kind of bored and I was like, well, I'm bored now. Right. So, uh, I was like, well, you know how to do this and you know, why don't we, why don't we, uh, entertain it and see how it goes. Um, because I started studying it as a school project because outside of what we knew that was the only other business I really understood aside from, you know, event management. But I mean, that's, there's a difference between a business and a a company or self-employed and, you know, business owner, my opinion. So I, I, you know, talked to her about it. We, you know, got everything set up in about four months and, you know, we had our started doing some cold calling email marketing, right. And just reached out to a few people and, uh, 
you know, somebody brought us in for an interview, essentially got us a contract and, and we started. Yeah. So it started off like super slow. I mean, we're probably doing like 10K a month in sales, nothing crazy, not enough to live off of. If you know anything about profit margins, <laughs> especially in a, especially in an industry that's controlled by uh, the government, essentially, right? Your yeah. margins are f- fixed uh, in a sense. Um, and we service customers that bill, you know, Medicare, right? So you, you can only make so much before they don't want to use you. Um, so that was kind of how we got started. Sure. So what is your company doing now? We staff um, – 99% of our customers are hospices in DFW. So we do any of the, say somebody calls in sick and they need patient scene, we'll send a nurse out there. They have uh, a patient that patient that's passing away, right? And in hospice, you're essentially terminal for the most part. And life expectancy at that point is six months or less. Uh, typically, um, people live for years on it. So, you know, it's all, everyone's different. Um, so we, we do a lot of the end of life, uh, care, sorry, the last, uh, you know, 72 hours of, of, of life is typically what we do. It's called continuous care, crisis care. So we send a nurse out there, uh, 24 seven to, to care for someone's, you know, loved one, whether it's at, at a home or a assisted living facility, uh, to medicate the patient, make them feel comfortable and make sure that they don't pass away alone. So it's a, you know, one of the good psychologists that I listen to, Jordan Peterson, I'm not sure if you heard of him, but he says, do what's meaningful, not expedient, right? To me, what was expedient was what we were doing, right? We could make, we made good money doing it, right? This is a slower, growing a business is a slower uh, way to get income, right? You can go to school and get a good job and make seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a year. As a business owner, you don't do that at least until year three, right? Um, so, you know, we got it. We, we looked into what what could we do that was meaningful um, where there was a need. Um, and when there's only, you know, a few major competitors in the market, uh, you, you start to see uh, opportunities uh, real quick. So, yeah, about a couple months after our son was born, you know, we s- started on that. And we're like, hey, we will not go out of respect for her previous boss who took very good care of her. We're not going to go for their customers, their nurses. We're going to start this from scratch. We we know a little bit about the business and how it operates, but you don't know, right? Until you're in it, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know shit about <laughs> yeah. business. Yeah. It doesn't matter what, even if you've been doing it your whole life. I've been a mechanic my whole life, buy a shop, totally different thing. Yeah. So we, yeah, we got into that. Um, and uh, like I said, you don't know what you don't know as a business owner, especially as an owner operator and just kind of grew it from there. Yeah. So what, you know, and here's the other thing, too, is what they don't teach you about becoming a business owner is the sacrifices you're going to need to make, yeah. right? Or the decisions you make for yeah. the good of the business. Or when you have 100 employees and they're like, oh, but I'm worried about my problem. You go, you're worried about you. I'm worried about 100 of you. Yeah, exactly. And that's how it is for us payroll every week. Somebody needs an advance or something. Well, when you have 100 and something nurses, it's uh, that multiplies very, very quickly. And as a new business, you don't have the luxury of being able to service all of their needs, right? So you got to pick and choose, hey, who, who's, who's going to be mad at me this week? Yeah. Um, and uh, you do what you can and, and you take care of people that take care of you, but you can only – you can't pour from an empty glass, yeah. right? So yeah. yeah. And then like uh, one of the sacrifices you made 
was your your payroll was growing so fast and you oh, were scaling yeah. so fast that you call me and you're like, I, I, I need to sell my house to keep up with this payroll, right? And, yeah, uh, and back in like close to Christmas time, I want to say last yeah. year, right? I think was it was it maybe January twenty or it was either in nineteen or twenty. I can't remember. It was twenty uh, twenty twenty one at the like literally this year, eight, eight months ago. Yeah, was it? Okay. I think so. Yeah. It's been a long year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it was like you know, yeah, because we were at the you, house for COVID. I was like, man, you're gonna you're gonna. I mean, man, that's a. Holy cow. And we did. We got you a smoking deal on that yeah. house too, man. We we beat that lady down. You know, that agent, she just didn't know what she was doing. Remember, she was even calling me crying on the phone. Even you at one point, you went, man, I'm starting to feel bad for him. Like, <laughs> man, I was taking him to the woodshed, right? And uh, yeah, um, All reasonable things, though. I mean, Yeah, all reasonable. When you don't do your own due diligence, what, what do you expect? Yeah. And yeah, like, hey, just because you don't know your job doesn't mean I don't know mine. Right. right? And uh, And so I was like, man, that's a... That's a bold move, and you're like, I believe in what I'm doing, sure. and I need cash flow right now yeah. to grow this thing. Yeah. So that was, yeah, call it call it a year ago, right? So a year later, where are you? Yeah. So we were growing pretty steadily. It was weird. Last year was weird. We had uh, we had been growing pretty steadily, right? COVID first came out. Nobody knew what was going on. So nobody was letting nurses in their homes. I mean, we did like six hundred dollars in sales in June. God. Seriously. So I'm like, what the heck are we going to, I'm still doing the, I think I was still doing the EMBA program or just finished. And we had been growing steadily. I think we're approaching, you know, 20 K a month, 30 K a month or whatever. Um, and then COVID hit, that was weird for a little bit. And then we ended up being the only agency in DFW that did COVID patients. Right. So you, you look at the situation and everyone's calling, Hey, do you guys do this? Do you guys do that? Maybe we got to do it. Right. Nobody else is doing it. So let's do it. So we that got us into the door with a ton of different customers. And then eventually you win them over by, you know, customer service, responsiveness, quality of care, um, a myriad of, of different things that that are your differentiators from from your competitors. And when when you're you're you've only got a few competitors, they're not hard to predict. Right. They're going to respond to what you're doing in certain ways. Right. And they're only going to compete on top line or bottom line. They're not going to compete in other arenas, right? So you've got to figure out, hey, how can I compete? How can I plan and be ahead of them every step? So if I change, you know, my pricing strategy and my pay strategy, how are they going to adapt, right? They're going to adapt and do probably a very similar thing because that's what they know to do. Well, you've already got to have plan B ready to go. So when the market does adapt, you throw them for a curveball again. So that's, and then, yeah, so to go back to the original question of where are we at now? I mean, 1800% growth uh, wow. since November. So uh, it's been, and we fired two big customers, uh, didn't feel it. Our sales grew. You, you know, there's something satisfying about firing a customer, not a good customer, but a bad customer. The hard part is when you got, I've got a lot of very good personal relationships with our you know, the management at these customers. So it's like, Hey, it's not, sometimes it's not personal. It's, you got to do what you got to do because you, you got to survive. Your business has got to survive. Yeah. Um, and yeah, sometimes it hurts, but Hey, maybe, maybe now's not a good time for us to, to be in business together, but definitely want to keep nurturing that relationship and, you know, see where it goes. And then they go to your competitors and then your competitors, customers leave them because they can't, 
yeah. do the business. So it actually works out in your benefit sometimes yeah. because people can't uh, in this market. Nobody can service everybody. There's such a like a labor shortage, a job surplus. Um, so when sometimes when you give something away, you get it back tenfold. And that's for whatever reason, uh, whether albeit God or or you know being lucky. Um, that's happened to us every time. So it's just been uh, just a, a very insane thing to watch. So let's right? talk. Let's 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 tap on. Uh, something you just said, labor shortages. That's sure. a real thing that I don't think that many people in this country fully understand what's going on there. And by the way, we were, and I was yeah. just talking about this with Clark on his episode was that labor shortage was going on long before anybody even knew what a COVID-19 oh, was, right? It exasperated it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talk about pouring uh, gasoline on a fire, right? Yeah. Or dumping napalm on a gasoline plant, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that, I mean, COVID just showed how how stretched thin the market was. And then, you know, with the political environment that was going on in the U.S., it didn't help, right? Because everyone's focused on politics. Uh, no one's focused on what's actually going on in the economy. And then we get these mandates and these things because we don't know what's going on with COVID, so we shut things down, and it makes the problem worse. Now businesses are shut down. People aren't working. And then, you know, six months later when the benefits run out, people are like, well, I want a job. Well, a lot of these people, a lot of these companies adapted and now realized, okay, we don't have to do that. A lot of businesses closed, um, which gave opportunities to other businesses who, you know, grew and grew their workforce and can't, you know, sustain that that growth because the the job market itself is just – I mean, we were already at a what a ten to fifteen percent shortage in in the U.S. Unemployment's a joke. That don't listen to that number because it's not. That's just imaginary unemployment. Yeah, yeah. Um, those people don't want to work. A lot of them do, uh, yeah. but a lot of them don't. So yeah. So COVID uh, threw gasoline on that fire. There was a lot of market consolidation going on, but what happened is the the labor force got stretched really, really, really thin because you came out of COVID and everyone wanted these services all at once because people were like, oh. It's okay to be outside, right, and not wear a mask. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you're you're in the street by yourself. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah. and in the medical field, especially, they've already had a labor shortage for the last decade, especially in the southern regions below that Bible Belt. COVID made it worse. A lot of people got retired. Re- well, retired, right? We had the surplus of of COVID patients uh, last year in November, um, which is when we saw it. We don't see it necessarily now. Um, so. You, you had that, you had the complications from COVID and, um, you, when you need a nurse, you know, what, like I said, we're already at a 10%, we were at a 10% labor shortage in the nursing industry and the job rates growing at like eight or 9% a year. So, I mean, in 10 years, it's going to be substantially worse. Yeah. So, so you what, can, do you, what do you, what do you think offsets that? Offsets that is, uh, for, for our industry specifically. Well, I think, in the economy as a whole, uh, fractional jobs, right? Tell me, um, tell me more PRN, about that. Um, Uber, right? Yeah. Uber offsets the cab driver shortage, right? Changes the industry, right? Well, you're going to have a lot of people doing uh, working for multiple companies, right? And they're going to. I think what's going to happen is you're going to get people that are very, very specialized that provide their services for uh, multiple companies, right? So you're going to have staffing agencies kind of fill that. I think that's, in my opinion, I'm biased. But they're, they're going to fill that void. They're going to source your contractors for you. Uh, say you need a developer, right? Well, 
you go to the staffing agency, they're going to source you a developer for three to six months, right? It's going to be uh, temporary job placement. And uh, what I forgot what they call that, gig jobs, right? People don't really want to work for a company for more than two years. You'll see it. People leave companies every two years to go on to bigger and better things. Well, the gig gives you the gig economy gives you the best of both worlds. I think that's where almost all jobs are moving. You're going to have management, um, and you're going to have a few employees, but you're going to uh, you're going to see that a lot of people are going to outsource projects um, even more so than they did, you know, pre-COVID. Now they can trust people working from home, so they're going to realize I don't necessarily need this employee, but I can hire a company to fill that role for uh, the interim, right? Until I eventually do need it or um, until this job or task is complete. So definitely fractional staffing firms, PRN type firms, that's going to be, I think, the where we're moving to in the job market for sure. So what do you that makes a lot of sense, actually. Hopefully, because uh, I talked for like 10 minutes there. Right. Uh, is so, you know, you're, you're also in another corner because somebody just can't decide on a Tuesday that Wednesday they want to go do what you provide, right? So because there's licensing, there's sure. training, there's schooling, right. there's all that, right? Yep. So um, – like for someone, for one of the nurses to do what they do for you, what is, what is that, what is that timeline? If somebody decides today, this is what I want to go do as a career, how long does it take before they're in the field? Um, so it, I mean, it depends, right? So if we went and sourced people at the school, you can get them trained in, in four weeks because what we do is so specialized, there's not a lot of variance between um, each patient you take, right? Yeah. There's, and we, what we do is we service, there's like three major reasons people use us for crisis care. And it's like pain management, respiratory distress, or, or terminal anxiety. or So all of those things essentially go down similar paths. Okay. So you're able to train your nurses on those three major things and get them to understand uh, the job and how to document uh, correctly pretty quick, actually. Whereas if you're, you know, in the construction industry or, you know, you're doing you know, going to the ER and doing it, being an ER nurse, that might take uh, a little bit more time because they're not as specialized. So for us, we're, we're actually on the benefit of that. So the more specialized you are, the quicker you can get somebody to do what you need them to do and train them the right way. So where, where do you, where, where do you go to source more bodies to, to fill the gap? Um, I'll give you a few. I won't go into all, all details. Some yeah. of that is a special sauce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but obviously, you know, I think one of the best places to look if you're a business owner is look to your employees. Yeah. Do you know anybody else that's like you that wants to do what we do? Okay. And then obviously, uh, you know, depending on the volume, I mean, we spend thousands of dollars on Indeed a year. Um, but that's you know that's kind of like our our fallback. You've all, we've always got Indeed ads running, um, uh, so Indeed had like a credit for this. But uh, yeah, so we I mean we spend you know thousands of dollars on Indeed a year. Uh, but those are two like I said without going into anything too detailed. Uh, it's definitely look to your employees or look to your contractors and say hey do you have anyone else that would want to do what we do, and then uh, running ads right. Ads do uh, a myriad of different things. They they build brand recognition. You know, in the workforce, especially if you're specialized. If you're just hiring an admin, it may not make sense. But if you're 
in a very, very niche specialized business, that is a form of advertisement. Somebody's going to find you, like call you up and say, hey, I saw your ad running. I'm not looking for a job, but do you guys provide this service? And you're like, sure. Uh, why don't we talk? So uh, definitely ads and looking to looking to your employees because uh, you want to find people you know, like, and trust at the end of the day. So, and it's really interesting, you know, this, what you're talking about is Michael Sherrod was on my show uh, oh, probably around this time last year. You sure. remember him from TCU? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he talked about, he goes, he goes, we're moving to a 1099. Oh, 1000%. Uh, yeah. And, and, and really for the employer, that's incredible because look, you don't have to carry the overhead. It's good and things. bad, right? So, yeah. yeah, it eliminates some of the regulation. Yeah. Um, but what it does, it, I mean, it opens you up to some scrutiny from the IRS. Right. But if you do 1099 right, it's really good for, I think, for the employer-employee both, right? Yeah. Both people in that relationship. The employee is going to make 20 to 30% more as a 1099. And then the uh, you know employer is not going to have to hold that weight of you know, the loaded employee costs, right? The yeah. weighted employee costs. You're not going to have to file taxes, new hire, some states, new hire forms. Um, so definitely um, it's a win. I think it's a win-win. Uh, and typically you get your money faster as a contractor uh, than you do as a, well, you should, as, than as a W-2 employee. Yeah. And you get to take the benefits of the, you know, write-offs and everything yeah. else. And you, you choose know? what you want to choose. Right. You, you have freedom of choice. A lot uh, of freedom. Where do I want to spend this money? What benefits do I think I need? I'm not, you know, suckered into a corporate your, your, benefit. Your vehicle package. is now something to write off because yep. you have to have be able to get to and from your cell phone. So Laptops, you're absolutely right. Internet. All all these things add up to where you're like, this was stuff that I was having to that you have to spend money on even if you're a W two. Exactly. And then now as a ten ninety nine, you're retaining more of your cash because you're able to write that as a write off. And you're right? making more. And, and most you're making people, more. Yeah, most people in that realm don't have massive um tax liability right so right. It's, it's better for them they get more money up front yeah you know when if you're withholding and you get a, a refund at the end of the year it's not necessarily the best thing yeah because you could have done more with that money like not had debt um six months ago if you had a little bit of extra cash mm-hmm. right so that's why i think 1099 is is going to be really good for the the workforce We'll, we'll see how we'll see how it plays you out. Know, and the thing is, is what what, what folks don't understand and is this is when somebody's a W two, if you pay them ten bucks an hour, and, and most recently, you know, when they were trying to jump minimum wage up to yeah. fifteen bucks, I was like, you're going to shut restaurants down. Oh yeah, they love. And they were money. like, we'll just increase the price of your food, and like, okay, I've been doing this restaurant thing for a decade. <laughs> you can't do that overnight. Right. And so the gap created between the actual time you can grow the price to something and the jump in what the employment cost is, they're not aligned, right? They don't they don't just add up together and you close restaurants and restaurants already been decimated during the, the pandemic, right? For sure. And so it's like a ten dollar an hour employee only takes home seven fifty. Right. And they actually cost me twelve fifty. Yep. Yeah. People so, don't understand weighted costs. No, yeah, or, no, or loaded like, employee costs. Yeah. Right. So now I'm already paying twelve fifty an hour for this person who makes ten dollars an hour, but only takes home seven fifty an hour. And you right. want to jump that? 
you want to jump that to 15 bucks an hour? Like, and you're already talking about an industry where the margins are super, super slim. Right. And you add in a pandemic where less and less people were going out, right? And it, I mean, it, no one was for a short period of oh, time. Oh, man. It Everybody was closed down. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was just, man, it was just like, wow. And it, it was really interesting because during the pandemic, when, when everything shut down, is when I said, we're seeing really, how our economy is is not on point right now, right? It ha- and and by the way, all that was going on long before the pandemic happened, right? Right. Now the economy is showing us who it really is currently. Right. Inflation's going up. You have all these all all these situations that are happening, but people are still living in la la land. Like you know, hey, it's just a Sunday afternoon walk, right? Yeah, reality's gonna slap you. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's going to hit you. And the thing is about this inflation, it's not going to hurt people that are established, right? It's going to yeah. hurt It's going to hurt the, the workers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean. The busy bees down at the bottom, not making – min- even the ones making minimum wage, which a lot of people don't. But, yeah. I mean, up to $20 an hour. Like our our labor costs this year have gone up 20%. Easy. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, partial to do to with a labor shortage. Um, you know, being competitive in the market and then uh, – I mean, you add inflation into that, it's just a bad mix. Yeah. It's just yeah. diluting what what money actually means. I mean, that's what inflation is, right? Well, and I think that's the the the, the problem when you have um, political officials, regardless of what side of the aisle. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I think both sides are guilty. Whether you're an independent, left, right, whatever, they're all guilty of it. You've been running the country for 40 years and nothing's yeah. happened. Like, you've literally made it worse. Right. Right. And, and it's like, look, the decisions you're making – for your constituents is actually affecting those constituents because guess what? I'm going to be fine. Right. And, you know, and I always, I always, you know, not turn this political or anything when people go, well, you had certain advantages that I didn't have. And I'm like, do you know anything about my history? Like dropping out of high school, couldn't read, went in the Marines, yeah. right? You know, I didn't get to where I'm at because somebody said, oh, hey, here you go. Here's your silver spoon, right? right? I, I got here because I sacrificed and worked my tail off, but I also was willing to learn what I did not know to put yep. myself in a position that when this thing does go to hell in a handbasket, I'm going to be okay. Right. Right. But I didn't get there because somebody gave it to me. I got there because I've worked my tail off. For sure. Right. And I, and I go back to, and oh yeah, by the way, a lot of people don't realize it's like when you and I started Stoneberg, right. That was also during the time that I lost everything. Yep. Not only lost everything, but holding the bag for 4 million on a capital call that I didn't have. Right. And as it turns out, when I looked around, nobody else was around. It was me, yeah. right? Yep. And it was like, so, you know, I, what I did is I learned that I never wanted to be in that position again. Yeah. And then, but I would say that it was also a great professor, sure. right? And then you add, while that was going on, because you remember the, the the abnormal lawyer costs I was paying. Yeah. Like, I just, I was like, people don't understand, you know, when they go, I hate lawyers. And I was like, <laughs> let me tell you, you yeah, something. let me tell you let me tell you something. When when you're deathly afraid of your name to come up in a conversation amongst a certain group of people because you know that the second your name comes up in a conversation, you're going to it's going to trigger some events to happen which as soon as somebody go, "Hey, your name came up in conversation." I was like, "Well, that's going to be another 5 to 10,000 dollar invoice I'm going to get from my attorney." Yep. 
right? And and in and then you you know knowing that I hadn't done anything wrong, I had to keep throwing money at, at attorneys to go. You know, because you don't want to speak for yourself. You this is you you pay a professional to speak for you. Absolutely. And and so, you know, but but it was also this pain process I was going through. At the same time, you and I were creating something that we were able to figure it out. And the thing was, is we we really evolved so quickly that our agility. Right, being agile. Well, Semper Gumby. Right? Oh, brother! Oh, man! And then that gave, you know, us the ability to build what we have now. Right. right? And because uh, I was like, I am not going to put my family through that ever again. Yeah, and I think understanding you need to know what failure is to you first. Yeah. Before, I mean, success is. I mean, it's it's almost irrelevant. You need to understand what failure looks like because when you're, I think Jordan Peterson again says, says something along the lines of. When you're running from failure, from what you know is failure, you're, you, I mean, you're running hard, right? It's, I mean, you you could chase success, but a carrot's only going to get you so far. But when you're running from something that scares you shitless, oh yeah, you run fucking hard. Oh right? yeah, fast, hard, and like don't 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 stop. No, exactly. Right? And you know, and it's really funny is, you know, and I I, I I know you and I you know joke around about this is you know the easiest days of our life. And what would ultimately be the less scariest were when people were trying to kill us when we were in the Marines. <laughs> yeah, that was if fun, If we ever right? think when people were shooting at us that we would go, oh, wait, um, turns out this is not going to be the scariest thing I've ever dealt with, <laughs> right? Especially <laughs> you don't have kids yet, right? Right. Oh, God. Yeah, you add that into the equation. It's yeah. like, oh. And then, you, yeah. So, so I like to wind all these down by going, hey – Let's go back to 20-year-old self. And I know that if we would want to tell 20-year-old self a million things, but if you could turn yeah. back the hands of time and go back and talk to 20-year-old Sean, what would you tell him to do or not do? Or what, what's the one thing, the one thing you could tell 20-year-old Sean? Um, you know, fortunately, the, the Marine Corps grows you up quick. I would say grow up fast, right? Uh, but the military does that for you. But I would say uh, don't waste as much time. Right. Because if you look at how much time you waste on a daily basis, you know, six, seven, eight hours a day, some, some of us, um, multiply that by what you think your hourly rate is, multiply that by 12, you see where you're at. Right. Yep. So don't, I mean, don't spend time doing things you, you don't need to do. Right. You still got to take time for yourself, but um, that and, and don't, you know, don't drink more than you need to. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> the Marine Corps does, they teach you how to drink. Oh, um, yeah. But, when you're busy, you don't have time to be hungover or uh, not be your sharpest. It's ironic. That's another story is how we met, right? Right. Or one of the meetings that I missed. Yeah. yeah being dumb, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, you gotta you gotta watch that stuff early on uh, because it it can be habitual, especially if you're in sales, business development. Um, you like to go out, and have a good time. Well, you know your limit, right? Cut yourself off, um, and then. Uh, Oh, wake up earlier, right? Yeah. And a couple different things. Wake up early, don't drink as much, and stop wasting time. So there is a book I, I um, went through um, a couple months ago called 168 Hours. That's how many hours are in entire seven days. Yep. And what's really interesting is you can download the spreadsheet, right? And it, and it has 15-minute slots for the seven days right. that you fill in, right? Now, what I did is I, I'm too ADD to write in everything I do, so I color-coded it as – 
this stuff was involved here, actual stuff, but then, you know, the fuck off time, right? right? Or was I really, was I, was I busy or was I busy being busy, you know? And if you're really, really honest with yourself, for the audience out there, if you really do this and you do this thing for a month and you're honest with yourself on it, you'll go, wow, I waste a lot of time. Yeah. Like, man, I just throw away a lot of time. Think about adding yeah. an extra hour back into every day, uh, productive, and not being busy, like yeah. being productive, right? Yeah. Getting stuff done. There's a big difference between being busy and running around and, and actually, you know, getting stuff done. Huge difference. Yeah. A lot and of people like to be busy, but and that's what I And that's what I had explained to James when I first brought him on is I said, the definition of wealth is having 100% control of your time. And yep. on the other side of that coin is there's not a shortage of people or things that will utilize your time for their benefit. Sure. So become a master of your time and you will be more successful, but also respect others' time and they will gift it to you all day long. For sure. But don't don't waste time, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to waste time, at least waste it doing something you enjoy. Right. Right. Yeah, you need you need a little bit of R and R for yourself. You yeah. got to, especially in, in business development, sales, being a business owner. Otherwise, you're going to go nuts. Yeah. Right. But but catch yourself when it starts becoming an issue. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners, salespeople are probably like me, where we binge. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll binge for eight to twelve. I'll say I'm playing video games. I'll binge for thirty six hours straight, and yeah. I won't touch it for three months. Right. 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 But, I mean. And it's really and, – and what's really funny is binging is really just finding something to do a disconnect because you just okay, got to yeah. get out of it, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, like mine, I remember one day Laura had walked in. She said, what are you doing? And I said, watching TV. And she goes <laughs> – During the day? <laughs> well, no, it was funny. Is She goes, Span, the TV's not on. Like that's how zoned I was out of just yeah. wearing myself down. That I was like, no, it's – well, damn, the TV's not even on, yeah. right? And and it was just that's how you know I I knew I was pushing myself way way too hard if I couldn't even tell the TV wasn't You're even burning on. at both ends, right? Oh man, because you don't you don't save some of that wax for the middle, it's gonna yeah. it's gonna you're gonna run out of it. Well, so so people want to learn about you know what you're you're doing and the sure. services you provide. Where, where do they go? How do they find you? Uh, MercyStaffing.com is the, is the business. Obviously, it's M E R C Y Staffing S T A F F. I-N-G, I think about that, being a Marine, <laughs> .com, right? Not a PH in there. Um, and then you can hit me up on LinkedIn, Sean Carr. Um, you'll find me connected to Jeremy if you're connected to Jeremy. And if not, Sean Carr, Mercy Staffing, it'll pop up. So Well, and for the audience out there, if you're driving down the street and you didn't have a chance to write that down, you can always go to myexperiencerealtor.com. That's Experience with an ED. Click on Podcast. Scroll down to Sean Carr. We'll have his information on there for you to be able to get a hold of his services. And, Sean, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks for having me.